0: Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. We're in part six of our series, Controversial Jesus. We've been in this for a season. If you've new, we've been traveling through the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually spending about six months in the Sermon on the Mount, different series. Through that, uh, we began the series with Jesus and politics, a light one. Uh, we've hit on Jesus and sexuality, Jesus and marriage. This morning, I actually believe this might be one of, if not the hardest one, for us uh, to really accept and embrace. It's Jesus and our rights. Uh, and the reason why is embedded into our American ideology is this idea of my rights, isn't it? I have the right to. In fact, uh, at our founding document, the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776, says it this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, at some point, we would finally get that all women and all of humanity, all races and tribes and creeds, but that wasn't in our founding document, unfortunately, are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, certain rights that you cannot strip away from. You cannot take away that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And there are these intrinsic American rights. And part of this, for we have many people who are not Americans, this, part of this is the reason you have come to America. To enjoy some of these rights, the life, liberty, and happiness and what's happened 243 years later is this life liberty and the pursuit of happiness has shifted into a little bit different uh, understanding for us today my american rights look something like this instead of just life we say it this way i have the right to live my life however i see fit it's my life don't mess with it it's it's my life Don't tell me how to live it. It's my life, and so I'll determine for me what's right and what's wrong, where I want to go, and whether it's good for me or not. It is my life. My American right to liberty has been translated to, I have the right to oppose anyone who infringes upon my freedoms. Isn't it fascinating? We talked about this at one point in our series uh, how the word tolerance has shifted in our culture. You know, tolerance, you know, and we talked about this, I can't remember, four or five weeks ago, originally meant about 100 or 200 years ago, we're not going to kill each other. We, we're going to tolerate each other. Uh, then about 50, 60 years ago, it came to mean uh, that we are going to agree to disagree. Today, tolerance means you agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, then you do not, help me out, tolerate me. Come on, okay, we'll, we'll get there, we'll get there, okay. You don't tolerate me. And if anyone doesn't tolerate you, you have the right to oppose them, to shame them, to social media like blast them. Do not impinge on my freedoms. And if you oppose it, I have every right to go after you. And we see it online all the time. My American right to life, my American right to liberty. And then this is the mantra of our day. This is our core ideology as Americans in our postmodern world. I have the right to do whatever makes me feel good. The pursuit of happiness has been translated. I have the right to do whatever makes me feel good. And we'll, live, we'll add one caveat to it. As long as it doesn't hurt you, as long as it doesn't impact you, I have the right to do whatever makes me feel good. And to that aim, I will pursue my own happiness. You've all a Harari, uh, author of the just incredible book called Sapiens. I give this caveat to it. He's an atheist and an anti-Christian when you read it. But he says that the predominant religion of our day, and Sapiens is this incredible book that talks about the history of uh, humankind. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to do so. He says this, liberalism sanctifies the subjective feelings of individuals. It views these feelings as the supreme source of authority. What is good and what is bad, what is beautiful and what is ugly, what ought to be and what not ought to be, are all determined by what each one of us feels. And so your rights come down to your feelings of what's right. And then Jesus speaks into this. And then Jesus offers and invites us into this incredibly controversial invitation, especially in the context of my American rights. Because Jesus' invitation is this, lay down your rights and follow me. Lay down the things that you have a right to and set your aim and your direction towards me, Jesus declares that the pathway to true life, true liberty, true happiness is found in following him, not standing up for your rights. And could it be? Could it be that our tight grip that we have on our rights is actually causing us to miss out on what is truly life anyways? you got your Bibles, would you open up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38? Jesus continues his conversation in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to address in their culture, in their day, this issue of rights, and we'll address it in our culture, in our day. Listen to what Jesus has to say. You have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Jesus confronting the foundational right for justice here. But I tell you, do not resist, underline that word resist, we're going to unpack that in a second. An evil person, next to evil person, write this phrase, one whose harm is, uh, one whose intent is to harm you. An evil person is one whose intent is to harm you. Jesus starts out and says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, already right there, that confronts our American ideology of rights, doesn't it? Don't tell me how to live my life. Do not resist. What you're opposing and infringing upon my freedoms, Jesus. An evil person. Wait a second. That won't make me happy. Uh-oh. For us to understand what Jesus is saying here, let's take some time and unpack this passage. Uh, There actually are three different types of Mosaic law in the Hebrew Scriptures. In the uh, Sermon on the Mount here, Jesus is often quoting from the Hebrew Scripture, the Mosaic law, or just the law passed down by Moses to the people of Israel. And what we tend to do is we think of the law as just there's one law, and there's actually three different types of law. Uh, In the beginning, Jesus actually addresses the moral law. The moral law is known as the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we have things like do not murder. Good, that's great. Life will be better if we don't murder one another. Do not commit adultery. We've addressed those things already, and those are the moral law set out. What is right and what is wrong according to God. That is the moral law. Then he goes on. Uh, there's a second type of law in the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, it's called the ceremonial law. This is the temple and religious requirements. It it defines what's clean and unclean. Uh, You find this in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. uh, And then you see the third type of law is known as the civil law. So you have moral, ceremonial, and then civil. The civil law is the governing law for the nation of Israel. So if the moral law, the Ten Commandments, Leviticus chapter 20, civil law is going to be Leviticus chapter 21, verses Uh, to chapter 23. It's more than that, but you can find it there. So earlier, Jesus had been teaching out of the moral law, and then he shifts to the civil law. Now think about this. Moses is leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're a brand new nation, and he's laying the framework for society, both in morality and in their religious way that they're going to operate, and then in, in your regular judicial civilian affairs of this is how we're going to function as a brand new nation. Jesus rips this from the civil law. This eye for an eye is... um actually one of the oldest laws or the oldest law of human history. You can find it in all types of cultures. The Code of Hammurabi had this law in it. It's known as the law of retaliation or lex talionis. It's the principle of proportional justice, meaning that the punishment should fit the crime. It it was actually a law of mercy. When we hear it in our day, we think of it as a law that's like, wow, eye for an eye. That's really harsh. Think about a tribal society where you had this vengeance and vendetta mindset. So if someone violated one person in your tribe, they didn't just violate one person in your tribe. They violated your tribe. So that entire tribe would then go out and violate the entire tribe. They'd have this vengeance mentality. And so it was a way to limitate or have a limitation of vengeance to ensure also that justice was accomplished as well as deter crime. If I know that if something I do to you is going to be done back to me, I'm probably not going to do it. Makes sense. We find this in Exodus chapter 1, verse 23. It says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, Foot for furt, furt, okay. Burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Uh, And interesting, if you shift to the Leviticus passage there in chapter 24, it says fracture for fracture. The great irony of teaching this passage this week for me, last Sunday, I was playing basketball and I had a guy break my nose. That jerk. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, literally playing basketball, and he punched. No, he didn't punch me. Uh, but his arm caught me, broke my nose, fracture for fracture. This guy happened to be our youth director here. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought we could practice this principle. Roland, come on up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, you know, the the irony of it is um, I think he actually helped Make my nose a little bit straighter. I've broken my nose so many times, so now I'm like, oh, I actually owe him, a Bill, uh, for helping make my nose a little bit straighter. This law of retaliation is something, in principle, we agree with. Think about it. Don't you want a child molester to receive and due course the punishment? I do. What about a serial killer? To receive punishment that fits the crime? What about a corrupt politician? Our politics today, our laws today find root in this ancient law. It's the law of retaliation. And then Jesus says something that is so counterculture. So controversial in their day as in ours. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Do not resist ones whose intent is to harm you. Well, what does it Jesus mean by do not resist? Resist is the Greek word antistami, I just got nervous because my dad's here and I know he's going to like think about my Greek pronunciation right there and I was like it better be good. Um, like and I just butchered it. So we're not even going to go back to that, okay? So the, the the Greek word resist stand against, withstand, be in opposition. It can mean to take one an aggressive action against them. Using this context To take revenge or to retaliate. To understand what Jesus is saying here, we gotta look at how the New Testament uses this word because this passage and the application that he's gonna bring has often been misapplied to great harm for people in the church. Uh, This word's actually used 14 times in the New Testament, and so it'll tell us how we're to understand what Jesus is saying here. First, it's used uh, that we are to resist evil. James 4, 7 says, uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 talks about, you know, that the devil uh, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Then this is the word, resist him. Uh, we see this in Ephesians in 6 in the great spiritual warfare passage where it says, then you'll be able to withstand evil. The day of evil, you'll be able to resist it, this word here. And so what we know that Jesus is saying, he's not meaning, do not resist evil. That's what we're called to do. We're called to resist, oppose, stand against evil. We find in Galatians 2.11 that Paul opposes Peter to his face. Peter decides that he is beginning to get intimidated by the other Jewish people, and he's like removed himself from the Gentile believers. And Paul says, that cannot be. It's causing division. And he opposes him to his face. And so there is this idea of standing against when someone's not standing up for what's right and what God is doing. So it can't mean that. Paul actually warns Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, talks about people who oppose the gospel of truth. And it gives this long list. And what he says to them, He says, have nothing to do with them. See, do not resist an evil person doesn't mean that you just are a doormat and you just are under, like, okay, I'm not going to resist. I just got to stand here. I got to take it in. I got to do it. He says, have nothing to do with them. Stay away. In fact, and Jesus uses this word again, Luke chapter 21, verse 12 through 15, and he promises his disciples that, that when they're taken into custody because of opposition to him, don't worry about what to say. He says, I'll give you wisdom and I'll give you words to say that they will not be able to oppose. And so it doesn't mean that you're not able to give a defense. And we see it applied In Acts chapter 6, with Stephen standing before the Sanhedrin and where he is able to give this defense before them, and they were, again, this word here, not able to oppose or stand against his wisdom. So what is Jesus saying here? Translation, do not resist an evil person means do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't let evil overtake you so that you retaliate with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't take revenge on someone who has wronged you. Don't retaliate. Don't stoop down to their level, but rise above and take the higher road. Don't respond in kind to an evil person. But if you're, is it Ariana that says it? Kill him with kindness. Is that right? I think it's Ariana. Kill him. Kill him, kill him with kindness. Yeah, I won't use that second service. Thank you very much. Okay, so what then does it look like to overcome evil with good? Jesus is then going to give us four examples. I want you to note, these are four examples, not commands. These are four illustrations where he's unpacking this principle for us And when we move them into the world of commands, we then begin to move into a place that people have experienced great harm as a result. You think of these a lot like the Proverbs. Proverbs are not promises, they're principles. They're, They're generally true in how we're to respond, but it takes wisdom to know how to apply these out. It takes the Spirit of God. Example number one is Jesus gives us the example of a personal insult. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. In fact, um, I was talking with my son, Miles, on the way in. We're driving. He likes to come early with me. And he's like, Dad, what are you teaching? And I said this passage. And he's like, is that the passage where it says, you know, if you get hit in the face, um, then you can, you know, take it on the other side? I said, well, kind of, but not really. And then I began to explain it because we take this as personal injury and in the context here is personal insult. See, if I'm going to slap you on the right cheek, this is a right-handed culture, left hand wasn't elevated, the right hand of power, it means that I am going to slap you backhandedly. handedly uh, Scholar, theologian Barclay says this, the blow uh, of, a, of the right cheek was the most grievous insult possible in the ancient world and in many cultures was likened alongside the eye-for-an-eye an eye and tooth-for-tooth tooth laws. Both Jewish and Roman law uh, permitted prosecution for that kind of insult. He's saying personal insult, when someone personally insults. What he's not saying that you're not able to defend yourself physically, stand up for others. What he's not saying is that you endure abuse Physical or the other. In fact, my dad, since he's here, I'll share this one. I was already planning, so. When I was a kid, he gave me three reasons it was okay to fight, to stand up for yourself. Uh, and, you know, uh, he, he said, you know what? If you're defending yourself, it's, it's okay. You come home, you get in a fight, you had three boys, you know, <laughs> kind of happened, I won't get mad at you if it's you're defending yourself. If you're standing up for someone else, like someone else is getting, you know, pummeled or, and you're standing up for them, I won't, you won't get in trouble if you're standing up for a family member. Those three reasons. But if you provoke it, oh boy, you know? And for that, some of us, we need to understand what Jesus is saying here. This personal insult. What he's saying is I can absorb your insult. I can take it and I don't need to retaliate. I don't know if it's, you know, someone online, one of your friends in public, it's your boss, your coworker, and they just put you down. And he's saying, no, no, a follower of Jesus doesn't have to get revenge, doesn't have to retaliate. It doesn't let it fester. It says, no, no, my identity isn't connected to your insult. My identity is connected to Jesus so I can absorb it and I can take it. And I, come on, Amen. come on, bring, bring some more with me. Because my identity is secure. First example, personal assault. Second example, a legal attack. It says, and if anyone wants to sue you, And take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. In the ancient world, there was two pieces of garment that you had. The undergarment was known as a Everybody, No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that. You just think about a parent saying, hey, little Johnny, get your little... Anyways. Anyways. That's what it's called. I can't help it. Even the poorest person had two shit-ons. I'm dumb saying that for the rest of it. Most people in the ancient world only had one external garment. That external garment was a heavy uh, made wool coat style where the other was thinner. It it was both what you wore outside to keep you warm and was your blanket uh, at night it was considered an inalienable right for a person. You could not take that. Jesus is utilizing hyperbole here. You're in court, think about this, and they literally wanna sue the shirt off your back, and he says, go to the end length and give them your external robe as well, meaning you're walking home naked. I mean, that's the picture that is coming to the mind of everybody. They're like, seriously, really? And here's, we kind of read into this and go, well, does it mean I can't, you know, Utilize the court or the law? What, do, what does it look like, you know, when we're talking about child custody, all this sort of stuff? And do, do I just turn over and lay down? No, that's not what he's saying. I, I love what, uh, the way the message restates it. It says, if someone drags you into court and sues for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best coat and make it a present of it as well. When you're under legal attack, You go, I have the ability and the desire to retaliate and get revenge. And when you've been attacked like that, isn't there something inside you that you just want to make that other person's life a living hell? And so you're like, I want to do whatever it takes. And Jesus says, shift it. Instead, overcome evil with good. I think of a friend of mine who owns uh, his own clinic, and he had this, um, this gal that was working for him, and because of her negligence, uh, a couple of his patients uh, were burned and infected, uh, affected. He got sued by those patients, which he's like, yeah, rightfully should have. And then when he fired this person, that person sued him for wrongful termination. Can you imagine the weight of emotion when you're going, legal attack is right there. I've gotten hit twice because of this person. And you know what Jesus is saying? Though it's in your power to do so, don't return evil and kind. In fact, pray for them. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus and enemies because he says, love them. Doesn't mean be around them, doesn't mean submit yourself to all the harm and vile that they have, but do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Example number three, unjust imposition. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Roman soldiers in that day had the authority to press civilians into service and carry their loads for them, up to a mile. And there are these mile markers on the Roman road. This is an unjust imposition. If you're a Jewish person, it is a forceful reminder that you are under uh, oppressive regime. You can think about Simon of Cyrene in Jesus' crucifixion as he's carrying the cross and the soldier taps Just a random person out of the crowd and says, hey, carry his cross. I'm forcing you to do this. And Jesus says, when it's unjust, it's imposing upon you. Don't do the bare minimum. Go the extra mile. What does it look like to overcome evil with good? says, don't do the bare minimum. Go the extra mile with a smile. Attitude is so important, isn't it? Your attitude, by the way, is the most infectious thing about you. It's contagious. And what you bring into your workplace, what you bring into your home, it is just caught. And everybody sees whether you're doing something with a good attitude or a bad attitude. I'm going to go the extra mile, but I'm going to grumble, and I'm going to complain, and I'm just going to whine, and I'm going to be so mad, and I'm going to tell everyone about how good I am being for going the extra mile because my boss is a jerk, my coworker put me down, my ex is just being unreasonable, and I'm going the extra mile. He says, no, 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 overcome evil with good by going the extra mile with a smile. If I had, like, I could do that little, you know, ding. Example number four, we have personal insult, legal attack, unjust imposition, and then he goes to financially cheated. Have you ever been cheated? You ever been taken advantage of? You ever had a, a generous heart to help someone, and then they rip you off? Jesus says, Give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now let's remember the context. Jesus didn't say, Give to everyone who asks. Turn away, don't turn away anyone who wants to borrow from me. If that's the case, could I have your home? That would be awesome. No, the context. Do not resist. Do not retaliate. Do not get revenge from an evil person, one whose intent is to harm you. When you've been financially cheated, taken advantage of, maybe it's in a business, maybe it's with a friend that you're trying to help out. Don't try to get even, don't let resentment grow. He even says, just pile it on. Where you recognize, think about this, where you recognize that they are ripping you off and you go, I get it, you're ripping me off, but I'm gonna bless you anyways because that's what Jesus did to me. Powerful. I remember one time I was coming home uh, from awakening, it was a Sunday afternoon. Ironically, I had just got done teaching on generosity. And as I pull into my driveway, there, there is this man uh, on the sidewalk and he comes up urgent flustered with this big like long story and he's like my kids are over here and I need this I need this money gas money and and his wife and I don't I mean it's all over the place and I'm like feeling this kind of sense of guilt and he's like I'm your neighbor I'm like well god I love your neighbor you're like literally my neighbor and so then I'm like I have no money on me so I drive down to the ATM, get out $100, which is a lot of money for us. I think it's for many. And, and then I go, okay, man, I want to bless you. I mean, I just talked on generosity. I got to practice what I preach. And I give him $100. And then in that minute, as he goes away, I realize I just got ripped off. He does not live on my street, he does not have any kid in trouble. And he just took heart, uh, took advantage of a kind hearted fool. And what Jesus would say was, if that man comes back, our tendency is to say, give me my money back, jerk. And what Jesus would say is to be able to look at him and go, listen, I actually get what happened here. And you're not who you said you are, and you didn't do what you said you'd do. And you took advantage of my kindness. Oh, and by the way, here's another $50 in the name of Jesus. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And for some, you're looking at it and wrestling with this. Okay, so to be a disciple means to be a doormat, Ingram. I just got to lay down and take it. No. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. This goes all the way back to our series on the Beatitudes in December. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We miss that idea of meekness because, in our culture, our understanding, meekness means weakness, it means you're a wimp, it means you're a doormat. The Greek word here means to be strong yet under control. It's strength under control. It is the bit in a horse's mouth that controls this incredibly strong creature. See, what Jesus is teaching here isn't weakness, it's truly how powerful, secure, strong people respond. Weak. Insecure people respond with retaliation and revenge and retribution. Strong people who have their identity set in Christ say, No, 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 I am living for another land. I have a savior. I am a child of God, hello, and I am secure, so I can take your insults and I can respond with goodness. It's interesting. Gandhi, it said, read the Sermon on the Mount almost daily. The Sermon on the Mount was the foundation for his nonviolent resistance in India. Dr. Martin Luther King, same, the Sermon on the Mount was the foundation for his nonviolent resistance. The blessed are the meek. Now, I just think that line is so interesting. For they will inherit the earth. Could it be that we're trying to inherit the earth in a way that will never be blessed by God? He says, when, when instead of trying to fight for your rights, you embrace that you have a God who will take up your cause and I'll bless, you'll inherit the earth. You'll cause great change. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was no, um, I just went blank on what I was going to say on that, no uh, stranger, thank you. It's like crowd response help Sunday. (laughs) No stranger to violence, opposition, and oppression writes this. Evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object, No resistance, but instead is willingly born and suffered. Uh, Suffered is the word here, we would translate it endured. Evil meets an opponent for which it is not matched. And so the Apostle Paul summarizes the teachings of Jesus at the end of Romans chapter 12 this way. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Don't respond in kind. Don't fight fire with fire. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Notice, not just what is right in your eyes. If it is possible, it's not always possible. As far as it depends on you, Not as far as it depends on others. You are only responsible for your response. You cannot be responsible for others. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. You take and do your part. Then he goes on. Do not take revenge. It's exactly what Jesus is teaching here. My dear friends, now notice this, but leave room for the wrath of God. King James Versions would say it this way: It is mine to avenge, or vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. By the way, it takes incredible faith to entrust your rights to God, trusting that He will then in the, make all things right. I'm going to lay down my rights, follow you, and trust God that one day this is unjust, this is not right, and we all see it, but I'm going to trust my rights to you, trusting that you will one day make all things right. That is an act of faith. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. You're like, well, Ingram, are we going to talk about enemies? I'm glad you brought that up. Next week, Jesus and enemies, don't miss it. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. There's an ancient Egyptian custom, and scholars argue about what this phrase means, and nobody really knows. But the ancient Egyptian custom had to do with uh, a sign of repentance. When your enemy truly repented, they would take uh, coals, put it in a basket, and walk through the town on their head as a sign of penitence and repentance. What I believe the Apostle Paul's saying here is instead of retaliation, retribution, and revenge, the goal is repentance. When you look at the other person and go, man, I long for you. To repent to turn to Jesus, I long for you to experience the grace I experienced. And now here's our line: Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you have an evil person in your life? Do you? Maybe it's a boss, a coworker, an ex, an employee. Don't stoop down to their level. Begin to pray for them. Doesn't mean you have to be around them, subject yourselves to them. But don't take revenge on someone who's wronged you. And by the way, Jesus is no stranger to this. Scott McKnight says, the cross reveals how God himself deals with injustice and violence. By absorbing and bearing it away, the sin is removed and the mask of injustice stripped away to reveal Injustice. Bonhoeffer would say it this way when we participate in this kind of kingdom living, it is a visible participation in his cross. It is a cross shaped decision to lay down your right to retaliate and your rights and say, no, 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 I'm going to entrust my rights to God and I'm going to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus revealed his power over sin by burying it on the cross. Just think through these examples. Think about this. This is amazing. Personal insult. Think about Jesus. He was insulted. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They punched him. They called him to prophesy. Who hit you as they blindfolded him? Legal attack, take the shirt off your back. They literally took the shirt off his back. They literally cast lots for it. And he hung naked in public display on a cross. Unjust imposition. Unjust that the God, eternal, pure one, stooped into time, human space, history. Unjust that he hung on a cross. And he took all of our shame and all of our sin and all of our pain. Everything we deserve was just poured on him. Talk about financially cheated. That he gave his life a ransom for many. For you, for me, Been said that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross, it was his love. See, we can entrust our rights to God because Jesus gave up his rights for us that we might have the right to be called children of God. And when you're a child of the King Most High, there isn't a place for insecurity because you have all that the Father has. And so you can walk out and go, hello, I can love you because I'm fully loved. Hello, I can bear that insult because my identity is based in what he said, not what you said. Hello, I'm a child of God. So I can give to you because I'm never in a deficit because I am a child of God. And all of the heavenly blessing is poured upon me. And so I don't have to curse you. I can bless you. Hello, child of God. Stand and we'll close. For some this morning, you are not a child of God because you've never stepped into a relationship. You've never received Jesus' work upon the cross personally. You've never said, Jesus, I need you. I need saving And today is the day of salvation where you lay down your rights and you say, I am going to follow you. And So I just want to invite you as we close, would you just pray with me? And if you're in that space where you're going like, man, I want to know that kind of love, would you respond to the gospel, the good news that God loves you more than you could ever know? good news comes with hard news that we're more broken than we could ever realize. But it comes with such an incredible story that God came for you. God died for you. God loves you, and he bore all of our brokenness, all of our sin and shame on the cross, and he did not stay there. We're about to celebrate in eight weeks in church. We're going to celebrate big. He is risen, defeating death, defeating sin. And Satan, that you might have new life. And all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. This morning, will you call on his name? Would you pray with me if that's where you're at? Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I believe that you came for me, that you love me, that you died for me. I put my faith, which is just like beginning, my trust in you. I'm going to lay down my rights and follow you today. Would you come into my life and make me new? And the promise. You see, he does. And all of heaven is celebrating over every person who turns to him and says, I need you. I want you. And God, I just ask for the... everyone in this room, that you would overwhelm us with your love, that we would be agents of your love in a world that's unjust and harsh, that we'd be your lighthouse for those who are lost at sea. Would you make us this kind of church where we wouldn't be overcome by evil, but we would overcome evil with good. In Jesus' strong name, amen.